Hello and welcome to Mega City Book Club, the podcast all about the galaxy's greatest comics. I'm Eamon Clark, and my guest this time, returning from the Enniskilling Comic Fest, which we will talk about at the end of the podcast, it's a warm welcome return to Paul Trimble. Paul, welcome back. Thank you very much, Eamon. Uh, hopefully I didn't disgrace myself too much the last time. Uh, since you've allowed me back. No, no, we had a great time last time, and we've got loads to talk about this time. We've got a packed agenda, but first of all, we've got a bit of sad business, because as we record this, we've had some sad news in the sort of comic community this week. Yes, uh, unfortunately, news broke at the beginning of the week. Uh, Colin Noble was uh, terminally ill. Um, It was a big shock to a lot of people. Colin was known, uh, respected, loved by a lot of uh, of uh, comic creators, comic fans. He was a member of so many groups. I'd seen Colin knew everybody. And uh, the outpouring of, of shock and sadness uh, this week when he, uh, when he passed away um, was uh, something really quite unique, I think, uh, it was. Uh, it, it has hit a lot of people very, very, very hard. My thoughts and condolences are with with his family uh, uh, at this very, very difficult time. And um, if it's okay with you, I'd like to dedicate today's show uh, to Colin, um, super fan of of British comics. And for anybody who didn't know him, and I have to include myself in that, Colin was an expert and a collector of British war comics particularly, I think. Is that right? Well, Colin pretty much collected <laughs> pretty much collected anything. Oh, right. Um, it would have been... He, he, uh, he, his main, main love would have been the comics published by DC Thompson. Right. Um, they would have been his main area, but he collected. Uh, so... I mean, prior to Warlord coming out, comics were a lot more general in theme, a mixture of sport and war and adventure and whatnot. Um, so uh, Colin would have collected pretty much anything in that line. And the uh, digests, he loved Commando, but he would have collected any of the, the digest comics. Um, he was a particular fan of, of Ian Kennedy's uh, he, he would have, uh, Ian, Ian's artwork would have been a real favourite of Collins. So I know Ian's, Ian feels very badly about, about the news this week. Yes. I mean, I, you know, and tragically young, uh, you know, probably, well, I'm going to say about our age, maybe in his 50s, I, I guess. Yeah. And uh, a great resource on comics history, um, and yeah, well known. I've re- I've read some very sort of like uh, moving accounts of his uh, his knowledge and his insight, and he's sort of just generally been a friendly, all round good guy to know as well. Yes, he was very free with his knowledge. If you had a question, if there was something that you that he could have helped you with. Uh, Colin was was. Uh, really first in line to try to to, uh, to pitch in and help. Uh, he just loved comics and he, he could have talked to anybody. Uh, he'll, be, he'll be a sad loss. A very sad loss indeed to the comics community. And as you say, our thoughts go out to his family and friends. And you've quite rightly chosen to dedicate this episode to the memory of Colin Noble. So, uh, yeah, nicely done, Paul, and uh, a sad loss to us all. 
Let's let me move you on to slightly sort of cheerier notes and actually talk about British war comics. Last time you were on, of course, we did El Mestizo by Alan Hebden and Carlos Esquera, and we're going to be back in the world of um, Battle Picture Weekly very shortly. But before I get you to that, we also had last year the Battle of Britain special from Rebellion, which I'm guessing you must have picked up, Paul. Yes, it was it was very exciting uh, that Rebellion included a battle special among their program last year. Uh, it was titled the Battle of Britain special for the 80th anniversary of uh, the, the Battle of Britain itself. It had a mix of strips. There were the return of some old favourites, which was lovely to see. Uh, some feature pages, a couple of reprints, which meant we got Ian Kennedy and Carlos Esquera included in the special which was just a lovely touch um it was i really enjoyed it and it's quite a big bumper special i think possibly one of the biggest ones they did last year more stories i think than most of the others um and of course it had an el mestizo strip with script by alan hebden himself although obviously since the sad loss of carlos it's got brent mckee on art what did you think of that particular strip uh, paul well, I'm, I'm a fan of Alan Hebden's writing. Uh, I, I always enjoy his work. It was lovely to see Elton Steeter back. He was, the character was a big favourite of mine. It's a character that has stayed with me ever since I first read it in battle. It was just, it, it was a bit of a culture shock seeing another artist interpret the character. Sure. And you, you, you know, you always have it in the back of your mind that, you know, Carlos should be drawing this so uh, I enjoyed it, but uh, say it, it was bittersweet. Yeah. Okay, we've also got work in there, but obviously by Garth Ennis, uh, Alan Grant's written one, Rob Williams wrote one, Simon Colby did some art, Glenn Fabry artwork, um, Keck W and Staz Johnson. Any particular strips that you would pick out as your favourite from this rather sort of like, as I say, bumper special that they put out last year? Uh, well, I enjoyed them all uh, for, for different reasons. It was fun to see Lofty and the Eagle back. They were both favourites of mine from the early days of battle. I thought that was a clever story. I mean, obviously, the return of Rat Pack was uh, was a very big deal. Great script with, by Gareth Ennis and art by Keith Burns. Um, the War Child story was something I found very powerful. Um, yeah concerning the, 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 the child soldiers in Africa. And through my Facebook page, uh, Battle Fans, we actually ran a fundraiser, an auction, and a raffle to raise money for a war child. Uh, and I'm proud to say that we have uh, £1,160 raised, which will be donated to War Child uh, to go towards their charity work. Fantastic. Okay, yeah, so it was, as you say, they had lots of specials last year and it was nice to see a battle special and one that's so uh, nicely produced with such high-quality art and writing in there and so many strips, uh, yeah, some old favourites and some new titles. Um, It was all great stuff, wasn't it? Very much so. Uh, I mean, it it, it was uh, a nice mixture of old and new. I mean, of course, some people missed their favourite characters, but it was... uh, you, you, you couldn't include everything, and uh, I think they, they, generally speaking, the special was very well received. Quite a few people commented they thought it was the best of last year's 
crop of specials. So hopefully it sold well enough. I mean, obviously the pandemic uh, impacted pretty much all publishing last year. So uh, hopefully it did well. Uh, I believe there at some point there will be a, a follow-up, not this year, but um, that there, there, there will be a, a, another battle special at some point in the future. Okay, excellent. Well, I hope so. I haven't seen any details of what specials they announced this year. Um, but uh, as you say, at some point, Battle will hopefully return again from Rebellion. Um, let's stick in the pages of Battle, but uh, we're going to jump back now to the 1970s and the original run of the comic. What's the book you've chosen to come onto the book club for your second go, Paul? I've chosen the uh, Titan hardcover edition of Darkie's Mob. So this is Darkie's Mob. As you say, we've both got a Titan hardback from 2011. Uh, this is a strip that ran in Battle Picture Weekly from August 1976 to June 1977, written by John mm-hmm. Wagner and art by Mike Weston. And the hardback's got a rather nice introduction by Garth Ennis, uh, clearly a fan. And it's got some bonus material in the back. There's um, some covers... And I think there's a text piece from one of the... uh, um, Is it from an annual, the text piece, I think? Yes, it's from an annual. Yeah. Uh Um, Just if I could jump in at that second. uh, Sorry, I beg your pardon, it's from a holiday special. Ah, right, Um, okay. Yes. I'm already thinking about the next thing I have to say here. Uh, Just just to comment that um, when Darkies Mob was reprinted in the Judge Dredd magazine in the 1990s, uh, it was partially censored. It was edited, some of the dialogue, um, but Titan uh, made the decision to print it as originally published, uh, for which I have to thank them very, very much. Uh, I was going to ask you about that, because I know that they, they even ran it again in the pages of Battle, possibly in 1980, but then again they left out some pages, and I think there was some art bodging went on to tone it down a bit. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, and then as you say, the original script uh, has been edited at some point for the magazine reprints, but this is this is completely uncensored. This is the original version. This is as it appeared in the comic uh, back in nineteen seventy six and seventy seven. And why this one, Paul? Why have you chosen this particular book? Well, Darkies Mob has been a long time favourite of mine. Uh, it was a story I loved back when I was reading back at the, fir- the first time around and it always it always stayed with me um, I mean recently it has become considered controversial to a degree um, there were comments made on another well-known podcast uh, that I felt maybe were slightly unfair um, so really I, I, I wanted to come on and talk about it maybe to try and encourage anybody that has has maybe been put off reading it or is concerned about reading it just to maybe to put the thing into context and explain a little bit more about the story uh, to uh, just to just to open it up maybe to new readers fascinating okay well we will get to some of the difficult issues let's start with a brief synopsis for anybody who's not read or come across darkie's war what's the basic outline for us paul well really um Possibly the best way to describe it is simply to read the introduction to the story from August 1976. The caption on the first page reads, In 1946, after the defeat of the Japanese, 
a small bloodstained notebook was found at the scene of a brutal jungle battle. In it was one of the strangest stories ever to come out of World War II. And then the, the diary itself is shown, and the title of it is The Battle Log of Private Richard Shortland. This is the story of a madman, a hard, cruel son of Satan, who led us into the very pit of hell and laughed about it. He then began to turn us into animals, the most savage fighting force the Japs had ever known. So essentially, it's, it's, it's a group of, of British soldiers beaten, demoralized. Um, they've, uh, they've retreated northwards through Burma uh, with the Japanese on their, on their tail. They're ready to give up. Uh, when they're rescued from certain death by an unconventional and, and pitiless figure, uh, Captain Joe Darkey. They're initially repulsed by his treatment and uh, then an enemy patrol that, that, that soon encountered after he appears. He moulds the squad over, over the, 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 the story uh, into fanatics like himself with only one focus, and that, that's to kill the enemy. Um, they become Darkey's mob. Yeah, indeed. And it will be, um, as you say, this is a, uh, what should we say, this is a dark and difficult theatre of war in the Burmese conflict, which we're going to talk about just in a moment. And um, over this one year run of comics, John Wagner and Mike Weston tell us an ongoing story which will come to a resolution and some of the secrets will be revealed uh, and it's, as you say, this ragtag bunch of soldiers moulded into a deadly fighting force by Joe Darkey. Um, it's gripping stuff um, for a British boys comic from the 1970s, isn't it? Well, very much so. I mean, really, there was nothing like it before. And um, you probably have to go into something like Charlie's War uh, to see the same level of research, the same level of horror um, portrayed in, 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 in a comic. Um, I mean, to me, it, it, it's uh, one of the best British comic stories that, that, that has been published. So we're going to come to the writing and the artwork in a moment, but give us a little bit of context, Paul, because this is um, the Burmese conflict Main, between the Allied forces and the Japanese, but mainly between, I guess, British forces and the Japanese, is in a way somewhat overlooked at times, uh, partly because it was so grim and unpleasant, I think, for both sides. Well, the Burma conflict, uh, in, in, in the UK, we tend to focus on the, on the European theatre of, of the war. Uh, we all know about uh, the Battle of Britain. We all know, sorry, Dunkirk, the Battle of Britain, uh, D-Day. Uh, we all uh, acknowledge the anniversaries of those. But a lot of people, I think, overlook the fact that it's World War Two, And, um, you know, they, they may have heard of El Alamein, but, I mean, how many have heard of Operation Torch, which was actually a bigger operation than D-Day was in North Africa? Uh how many know about uh, about the Burma campaign? Uh, it, it's 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 known as the Forgotten War uh, because really it it it, uh, it didn't make a lot of headlines. Um, it was it was a defeat for the the, the British forces at the beginning, um, 
And uh, as you say, it, it was one of the most brutal and savage conflicts um, of the war, which probably doesn't go down terribly well either. Hmm. Yes, and of course, so the Japanese forces had invaded what was then Burma, it's now Myanmar, in 1942, and this conflict goes on for two years. And as you say, initially British forces were on uh, the retreat because they, you know, they were overwhelmed to begin with, and we see that at the start of Darkies mob, as you say, these group of British soldiers who are. Uh, beaten and uh, in retreat are suddenly rallied by this strange, mysterious figure of their new captain, Joe Darkey. Um, and it was a, a jungle conflict, a jungle war. And, of course, that presents its own particular difficulties for both sides um, and probably, you know, also contributes to the reputation of this as being a very dark and unpleasant, um, as you say, brutal place to fight to you know to have a, a conflict yes well the i mean the, the the burma conflict really you could you could trace it back to 1931 when the japanese invade manchuria uh and then six years later they invade china um capturing the the capital of nanjing which is regarded as one of the biggest atrocities in human history uh, with mass murder and rape uh inflicted on the, the citizens there by the Japanese Imperial Army. Um, it was the 8th of December 1941, the day after Pearl Harbor, that Japan actually invaded British Malaya, which was right. at the bottom of the Burma Peninsula. And um, eventually the British were forced back onto the island of Singapore, uh, which was supposedly impregnable, but the Japanese took it by mid-November 1942. At this time, they were also then, they were invading, starting to invade Burma, uh, from Thailand, uh, both to get their hands on the, the uh, natural resources and to cut off supplies which were being uh, ferried up into China. Um, so gradually the British were forced back from the port of Rangoon, um, up midway up the country, uh, to uh, uh, the, the, the citizens, the, the, the people of the country began there to to uh, ref refugees headed northward as well. Um, and uh, the, the southern part of the country would have had a road system and railway and, and whatnot, but once uh, you got into the north of Burma, uh, it was pretty much jungle. Uh, the roads and tracks were very, very poor, and you had um, the British forces in full retreat, you had the refugees heading northwards towards India. They were starving, disorganized, sick, uh, wounded on these primitive roads, uh, all trying to make their way northwards, of course, fighting their way through the jungle. It was disease, malaria, and so on. Um, it, was, it was really pretty horrific. And we see that in this comic strip. We see, I think, the effects that the terrain and the weather has on the British forces. Uh, in fact, on both sides, I think, with them, you know, struggling with uh, um, roads, struggling with lack of sort of infrastructure and transport, struggling with their uniforms, their equipment, um, you know, and as you say, disease and sickness, the problems of keeping, I guess, even just something simple like keeping the soldiers' feet dry, you know, the importance of having decent boots that don't rot in a jungle. All this stuff must have been a nightmare for the for the people, you know, the forces involved on both sides. 
Very much so. It would have affected both, um, you know, the the monsoon uh, was due to come in, in May of 1942. The British forces reached, um, they reached Manipur uh, in India just as before the monsoon started. And it was actually the monsoon that, that held up the Japanese advance uh, at the end of May 1942. They were they halted at the Chindwin River uh, to wait for the end of the monsoon. And that's actually then where the Darkies mob story begins. And the Japanese have had advances just temporarily halted. Now, unusually for this episode, Paul, you set me a bit of homework. Um, would this be a good time to mention the film uh, The Bridge on the River Kwai? It's it's probably the 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 one telling of of the Burma campaign that people may be aware of. Yes, uh, it was a it, it was a hugely successful movie. Um, in uh, the late fifties, and uh, you know it, it still packs a real punch today. You see the way the the the, the, the Japanese treat the British prisoners of war. Uh, you see what they were forced to do, the work that they they, they they were expected to carry out on, despite how ill they were, despite the poor rations, uh, despite the weather. Um, you know they, they they were they were treated. Terribly by um, the, the uh, by the Japanese, the Imperial Army, um, and as I say, the bridge in the River Kwai explains that. Uh, probably, you know, makes it the easiest available for people to check out. The Pacific Television Show, in, in, uh, which came on in two thousand and ten, was a real eye opener as well. I think a lot of people maybe experienced their their first. Um, Impressions of uh, the, uh, the 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 fanaticism of the the Japanese Imperial Army. Um, they they would never surrender, and they treated anyone then that did surrender with the utmost contempt. Um, they uh, they had absolutely no respect for for anyone that that, that would surrender. And we see that in the movie because, of course, I watched it this week and I'm reminded particularly of the scene where the British prisoners of war are marched into the camp at the start of the movie, um, whistling the Colonel Bogey March. But you see the sort of the effect that the jungle conflict has had on them, um, both on the fact that they are extremely thin and malnourished looking, but also their uniforms are in rags. Many of them don't have boots and so on and, and you and as you say the contempt with with which the uh, the japanese forces treated opponents who had surrendered is is there in the movie and now obviously it goes on to be the huge personality clash between alec guinness's character colonel nicholson and the uh, the japanese um commanding officer but you know mm-hmm. at the start i really got the idea of how brutal it must be to fight in a jungle and to have your equipment literally rotting out underneath you um, because of the weather and, you know, you're probably sick and ill and the, the, just the, the, the logistics of fighting a jungle conflict are just enormous. And I think, as you say, probably the British forces initially taken by surprise by the ferocity of the attack um, and the difficulty of the terrain. Yes, uh, I mean, the, the, the bridge on the River quite really hits home in that way. 
Uh, we also have to bear in mind the treatment of the civilians by, by the, the uh, Japanese forces. Um, the, the Imperial Japanese felt themselves superior to the, uh, the other Asian races and uh, the, the, the civilians, the, the general public in, in the countries that they, they overran were treated terribly badly as well. So it wasn't just the, uh, the, the Allied forces that, that received this treatment. It was, it was pretty much everybody. Mm. I, did, I did once, uh, I knew a chap who had fought in the Burmese conflict and was a prisoner of war and had worked on the Rangoon Railway. And he was an incredibly kind and gentle man, but he could not forgive the treatment that he'd received by his Japanese captors at the time. Um, he could forgive and forget just about everything else, but he couldn't forgive the way he was treated as a prisoner. And as you say, an, an astonishingly dark period of history, I guess, for us at this time, Paul. I, I've read a number of books about the Burma campaign and the, you know, the, the feelings of your colleague there. You know, are, are, I, I read this time and time and time again. Uh, the, the the treatment that the, the prisoners of war received uh, was something that a lot of a lot of them never got over. Uh, I found it very 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 hard to to deal with. So as we say, it's a very dark and brutal conflict, a dark and brutal time in history. Uh, in some ways, the forgotten war, possibly because. You know the the difficulties of the conflict and the behaviour of both sides of the uh, of the conflict were you know forced to be somewhat difficult. Let's turn to Darkey's mob and mm-hmm. start with John's writing. This is very early for John Wagner in a way, um, and he must have done an enormous amount of research, which would have been quite tricky, I'd have thought, in the seventies. Um, I, I have read somewhere that there was a list of some of the books he'd, writ, he'd read, and I think one or two are quoted by the editor in editor's notes through Darkey's Mob. But it's an astonishing piece of writing to begin with for John at this stage of his career. Very much so. It, it's really John's first long-running continued story. I mean, after... after uh, developing battle with Pat, um, Dave Hunt and Steve McManus, uh, and and writing some of the the first stories in the comic. Um, John left to to take over as as editor of Valiant. And for Valiant, then he created uh, characters like One-Eyed Jack and uh, Death Wish, Soldier Sharp. Um, uh, These were great characters, great stories, but they, they were they were pretty much episodic. Um, uh, when the writing was on the wall in mid-76 that the valley just it was too late to, to save it um, and John came back uh, to battle Darkie's Mob was the first thing that appeared and it was um, a development on what he had he had written before and the, while this, the, ep- the stories were episodic each one built on the previous one, and um, the, the 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 mob um, are are uh, gradually reduced in number. Um, so it, it, it's really one that has to be read in order, and then of course you get the payoff uh, at the end uh, to 
complete the story. So, yeah, it, it, it really um, it's it's a remarkable work, and uh, it's uh, something that Joan would go on to write uh, along similar lines uh, in in two thousand eighteen. And he's doing all this in three or maybe four pages a week, uh, having yeah. to do that British thing of, you know, finishing, if there was a cliffhanger from the previous episode, wrapping that up, uh, moving the story on a little bit with the mystery of Darkey and, you know, what Private Shortland, Shorty Shortland, finds out about Darkey fairly early on but doesn't tell the rest of his colleagues uh, or his compatriots. And then also, you know, like setting up the next one and uh, all with sort of blazing battle action, quite ferocious because Darkie's mob become a, uh, what would we say, a hit and run guerrilla group who move fast, uh, surprise the enemy, uh, overwhelm them just by the ferocity of their attack and then quickly move on. I think resupply and move on. And then, of course, they're forced at various points when Darkie's mob become... They become almost, I don't know, what would you call them? Like a a legend, a sort of... um, The the Japanese opponents know of Darkie's mob and and then they set out various attempts to trap them and uh, contain them or eliminate them. So it's all done in three or four pages... And yet he's doing this one-year-long story as well, which, for me, is where he's gone with dread in the latter part of his career, telling long-form dread stories. But here he is back in 1976 doing it for the first time. And I was quite astonished, actually, about how he developed this over a year and how much he packed into each three-page episode. It's quite remarkable stuff. Totally. Uh, you know, it's, it's writing in that form. Um, it, it's, comics don't really adhere to that pattern anymore. Um, everything nowadays is, 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 is written really with a trade paperback collection in mind. Uh, but writing stories back in the 70s, it was designed to bring the reader back the next week um, and as you say, the story has to be moved on slightly. There has to be some action, of course. Uh, but it's it's the characterization that John managed to infuse uh, into the characters as well. You you get to know each of the mob over the the, the, the length of the story. Um, e- each one is different. Each one has their own unique personality and. and uh, there is so much crammed into to, to, to Darkie's mob, but it really is an amazing achievement. So, I mean, as you say, the characters, we've got uh, Private Shortland, Shorty, we've got Sergeant Sampson, Lieutenant Mika, uh, Flyboy. Flyboy, yeah. Yeah, I mean, these they become real characters within a few, uh, you know, within a few episodes, and they each have a little bit of backstory. You get a little sort of physical characteristics of them. And then without giving too much away, as you've said, Darkie's mob do get whittled away as this story progresses. There won't be very many of them left after this year-long campaign. Um, it's, you know, it really takes its toll on them, doesn't it? it, it, it it's, it's very real in that way. Um, you know, as we've talked about the brutality of the campaign, 
what the the the, the conditions uh, that that Darkey's mob had to endure, um, the the guerrilla attacks, um, the ferocity of their opponents. You know, you wouldn't expect that many of them to make it through. Um, John infuses uh, a dignity with 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 each member of the 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 mob as as uh, they they their they leave story maybe I should say um, and uh, you know it, they're they're moving um, what what happens and you know their their loyalty to Darkey uh, that he has instilled in them is. Uh, Again, the, the, just the writing and the characterization of, of it is, is top-notch. And Joe Darkey himself, the captain, the mysterious captain with a mysterious past who has a vendetta against Japanese troops um, and, you know, the reasons will be revealed. But he's a remarkable character. He's, you know, he's not like... In a way, he's not the likable leader. He is brutal. He is, you know, the way he treats the troops to begin with, he's bullying in a way. Um, he will he will literally leave people out as bait at times in order to lure uh, the Japanese into a trap. Um, and it's, it's a very powerful bit of storytelling. He's not the sort of clean-cut war hero that we perhaps were more familiar with from comics at the time. Darkie is is very different to anything that has gone before. I mean, we had Major Easy introduced in, in early 1976, who was anti-authoritarian and basically did his own thing. But uh, Darkie is, I mean, as, as Shorty describes him in the, the, in the diary, I mean, he, he was a madman. A wild, cruel son of Satan. Um, I mean, when Darkie first appears to the the, 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 the squad in the first episode, I mean, he, he treats them very badly and misleads them into thinking that he's taking them to safety when actually he's taking them further into danger. Um, he's, uh, you know, he, he, he doesn't respect the lieutenant um, in the squad. Uh, I mean, much later on, uh, a group of chindits uh, come into the story, and and uh, Darkey is he's um, he's nearly as 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 hard on 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 his his own uh, on the Allied soldiers as he is on the Japanese. You know, he he's just single-minded yeah. in in what he wants to do, and he will let nothing stop uh, the. The the the, uh, the killing of of the, the Japanese, and he, as you say, he turns the you know Darkie's mob into this efficient fighting unit, but he sort of infects them with his own madness. He you know yes yeah he turns them as you say in the introduction he turns us into animals, the most savage fighting force the Japs had ever known, um, and I think Garth Ennis describes him in the introduction as another one of John Wagner's downright lethal bastards like Joe Dredd, Harry Exton, <laughs> Johnny Alpha. Um, these really sort of like hard-nosed, tough-as-nails characters that John Wagner can create. It, it's He's a memorable character, be, partly because he is so dark 
and brutal and unpleasant. And it's just, you know, I just, it's astonishing the writing of this so early on for John and yet producing this one year project. It's quite remarkable. One of the sort of like most memorable characters from British war comics, I would guess, Paul. Oh, no argument there. Um, he's, uh, he's, as I said, I mean, he's, he's unlike anything that had been done before. And, um, the, uh, this is this is why I've really come onto the show today to talk about Darkies Mob. It is just to 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 you know to hopefully encourage people um, to 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 read it and um, not just to judge it by by um, you know what they either what they've read from other people or you know a, a very quick knee jerk reaction to something. Um, you really need to read it and, and understand the the. A bit about the conflict itself and the the circumstances uh, that Darkies Mob find themselves in. Um, if, I mean, if you could, it, it's it's a story that uh, it's it, it's a character and a story that I, I will. It's just gripping, absolutely mm. gripping from beginning to end. Well, we're going to talk about some of the controversial aspects of war comics in a moment, but let's turn to the other half of the partnership and talk about Mike Weston, the artist for this. Mm. Um, Often I think this is mentioned as possibly one of his finest works, Darkie's Mob. Um, An artist who I know from looking looking him up, he served in World War II himself. Um, He did. Yeah, so he'd, he'd seen military service in the war, We've talked about him a bit on Leopard of Lime Street, on Billy's Boots, but he also, he did some Roy of the Rovers. He would do a couple of covers for 2000 AD. Um, James Peaty has actually uh, picked HMS Nightshade to come on oh, and talk yeah. about. So, yeah. You know, another yeah. one of his greats. Um, this is black and white. This is dark and inky and grim and gritty artwork that suits this this uh, theatre of war. And what did you make of Mike Western's artwork throughout this run? I think Mike Western was the perfect artist for Darkie's Mob. As you say, the, the, the artwork, it's dark and gritty. It, it's very black, a lot, a lot of heavy blacks. And I think that, that, that emphasises the, the jungle, the, how hemmed in you would feel. The, uh, his facial expressions... Are amazing when when he does close-ups. You can I mean you can see the the absolute glee on Darkie's face as he you know as he takes on the Japanese. The body language of the the mob as well. You can see Sergeant Samson. You know you know he's he's strength that he has. As I say, the the Mike Western's art is is, is just top-notch uh, for this. He came over really to battle after a long run in. On Valiant drawing the Wild Wonders, uh, which is written by Tom Tully, and uh, Mike came over to battle in early 1976 and drew a D-Day Dawson strip, a couple of Merrill's Marauders episodes, uh, some of the team that went to war. But Darkie's Mob was really his first, his first full story that he that he drew from uh, from beginning to end, and then, as you say, went on to work with John again on HMS Nightshade. And, of course, it's a real benefit having a single artist for the whole run. 
and you know he's got three or four pages to draw a week and john doesn't really stint on the story there's lots to pack in so there's mm-hmm. quite a number of panels on the page and i really like the fact that the panels jump around they you know he breaks the format we get very dynamic movements around the page um with you know, characters breaking out of the panels or small close-ups of character faces. It's all brilliantly done. It's very dynamic artwork, I thought. Very sort of like um, kinetic and energetic stuff. It's gripping and uh, in, in some places terrifying stuff as well, isn't it? Yes, the action sequences are very much in your face. Uh, a lot of times you'll see characters charging head-on at the, at the reader and whatnot they are. They're very... It's very in your face. Um, and uh, as I said before, the facial expressions on the characters, you know exactly what they're thinking uh, by the facial expressions in the body language. And I was, you talk about, you know, some of the difficulties of uh, censoring the language and the artwork later on. I was reading uh, some background, I was reading two former editors. Uh, of the magazine, David Bishop and Alan Barnes, on the 2080 forums talking about some of the difficulties of reprinting it in the magazine and how they decided to put back in the amputation scene and the scenes of dysentery. Um, You know, because if we say the amputation scene, it's... uh, There is some quite terrifying and gut sort of wrenching stuff that goes on. Um, there's no shortage of violence in this comic, is there? No, no, absolutely not. I mean, as you say, the amputation sequence is very hard-hitting as well. Um, but if, if you don't mind me mentioning, just we, 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 while we're talking about the creative team, I think it's only right that we mention editor Dave Hunt uh, at, at this point, who was brought in to work with Pat and John to develop Battle Picture Weekly, Um for a publication in, in uh, early 1975. Uh, he, he was really the youngest, uh, as far as I'm aware, he, he was the youngest full editor uh, in IPC at the time. And obviously he has, has played a part uh, in, in developing the stories and commissioning the stories uh, that, 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 um, that came under his, his uh, editorship. I mean, we've had, we had Major Easy, we had Darkies Mob, Johnny Red, Sarge, HMS, Nightshade, and then, of course, Charlie's War. All of these stories appeared under Dave Hunt's watch. I would, I would stack the first five years of battle equal to anything uh, that, that has appeared after that. And I think Dave Hunt is, is, is a big part of that. And putting, you know, John Wagner and Mike Weston together and giving them a year to tell a story uh, is a remarkable piece of editorial in a way and just letting yeah. them letting them run, letting them tell this, this you know, this story of this awful conflict of this awful man in a way who is cometh the, cometh the hour, cometh the man in a way, I suppose, but the dreadful things that go on. Um, it is one of the most brutal war stories I think I've ever read in comic form. It is, you know, absolutely um, unrelenting in a way, isn't it? It it, it, it never stops. There, there's so much packed into it. Um, but as we've said, I mean, it, it, it was it was partly the, the theatre of operations that they found themselves fighting in. It, it was it, it was that jungle war 
and you either had to shape up or die. And that's really what it comes down to. Yeah. Between the Japanese, between uh, you know the the, uh, the jungle itself, the weather conditions, sickness. You know, they 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 had so much to face, and uh, it was it's just unrelenting. The, the the whole story. So let me ask you about British war comics in general, and then this one in specific, you know, in particular, Paul, because. Mm. Um, I don't have your expertise or familiarity with them. I've mostly been reading them for this podcast. Um, my memories, as I said in our notes, my memories were quite different to what I've actually been reading because I had this idea of these sort of rather triumphalist, um, jingoistic war stories with clean-cut heroes doing heroic things. And then actually the books I've gone back and read for this podcast – it's not like that at all. Um, these were very much war is hell stories from the 1970s, weren't they? Yeah, it's uh, comics. Comics of the this, the 60s would have been a bit lighter in tone. Things like Captain Hurricane with his raging furies and you know swinging field guns around and bashing the enemy and whatnot would have would have been quite lighthearted and. But once once comics moved into the 1970s, things definitely became harder hitting. Warlord would have been the first the first themed war comic. Prior to that, comics would have featured a mix of, of genres, apart from the sports ones, of course. But um, Warlord was the, the first comic to have, have a war focus uh, in in September '74, and then. Uh, Battle Picture Weekly took that a step further. Um, we got away from uh, Lord Peter Flint, and we ended up with Rat Pack, you know, a kind of criminals. Yes. So immediately, Battle set the tone as a darker, harder-edged uh, comic, and uh, that continued right the way through it. And really, there's no way that 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 anything could be considered jingoistic or or uh, you know pro-war. Um, you know, nothing like that would appear in battle. No, and I'm just I'm just glancing at my bookshelf over here. I can see stuff that I've got now. Like I've got the two Garth Ennis um, battle classics collections. Mm-hmm. I can see Rat Pack. I can see Death Squad. Obviously, there's Charlie's War. As you say, the '70s producing these quite dark unpleasant depictions of war in a way more realistic i guess where we could admire the people but not the conflict and what they have to do it, it it's it's very much an anti-war comic i mean all the stories charlie's war being probably the best the finest example of that and probably the best known um it showed the horror uh of of conflict and, and what it did to people how it affected people and uh it's obviously, I mean, battle changed um, over over its run. World War Two interest began to, to drop off in the early eighties. Um, battle became home to, to, to more action style comics, action style stories, and um, uh, eventually became became home to, to action force. But in its first, you know, five six seven years, um, battle was was portrayed war in, in such a realistic manner uh, and really give us a taste for what it would have been like. 
And it's a very interesting time in British comics in the 1970s. And I was, you know, I mentioned again in our notes, I was struck by the idea that's been commented on before of the World War II veterans uh, who were now working in the comics industry, in the offices, and then the young guns like Pat Mills, John Wagner, um, some of the artists, uh, Dave Hunt and so on, come along and shake things up. But they, they, at the same time, they've got the experience of the guys who actually sort of saw it, who actually been there and done it, um, who could write and draw it and so on, like Mike Weston and John Wagner. What a partnership. Yeah, uh, I mean, Eric Hebden uh, served as well, and, and uh, Dave Hunt has commented on how, how valuable uh, the, the, the advice and the, uh, the, the stories that, that Eric Hebden could give him. Um, it, 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 Battle was developed in the girls' department of IPC to avoid um, to avoid the if you want to refer to them as the older guard of of editors and creators um, was it was to keep this brutal new comic um, away from them uh, so that it wouldn't get watered down that it wouldn't get. Pat and John wanted something new and fresh and uh, not a retread of, of the way things that had been done before. Uh, and, and Dave Hunt, they found the perfect editor to, to, to follow on from that mm. and take the comic to the heights that it reached. Mm. So um, it's all a fascinating subject. It's a fascinating period of time, both, you know, the conflict that it reflects, but also the period of time in British comics that was created. I'm going to ask you about the, the difficult subject and the controversial aspects of some of the language in the comic, um, which has been talked about a fair bit, because I think, you know, if you're in a, a, a conflict, any conflict, it is natural to demonise the enemy. And that is reflected to a certain extent in the language used by Darkie's mob when they describe their opponents. Although I think, as Garth Ennis points out in his introduction, that's probably a far milder version of what was actually being said at the time. What do you make about the whole the whole subject? Because I know this is something you were wanted to talk about, the whole subject of the controversial nature of Darkie's mob and the language used. First of all, Eamon, let me say that Garth Ennis's introduction to the Titan volume is fantastic and it, it, it really puts Darkie's mob into the proper context you didn't really need me on the show today we, we could just have read Garth's introduction <laughs> to it and uh, it, 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 it's just perfect it, it, it really as I say I'm, I'm, I like to have things in context rather than making snap judgments um, I've read about the Burma campaign I've read of veterans who they wouldn't let anything that was made in Japan into their house. They, they felt so strongly. There, there were, I've read of veterans who, who just felt that Japan should never be forgiven for what they, the brutality and the savagery that, that they, uh, they unleashed. I mean, there were, there, the, the, we got we have we eventually got a noble German character in Helmut of Hammerforce in in action in 1976, but when Pat Mills tried to to introduce a strip about an honourable Japanese character, 
in, in the Strip Samurai in 1978, it, it, it was not popular at all. And I think that just shows that there would have been, in, 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 in kids' households, there would have been grandfathers that fought in the war, there would have been maybe dads that, that, that would have remembered the campaign. And I think it just shows, helps to illustrate just the mindset that there was uh, at the time. Now, obviously, things have, have changed in the ensuing decades. But, you know, they, they, compared to the European theatre of war, which was terrible, the Burma campaign just took barbarity and savagery to, to heights that I, I don't think we'll ever, you and I will never really understand or, or come to grips with. Absolutely. I mean, you know, an ugly campaign, um, an ugly, there's some ugly language. It reflects very much, I guess, what were the views both of the of the 1940s and the 1970s. Um, I've, you know, you mentioned reading Garth's introduction. If I read from the back cover, uh, it says, this never-before-collected epic takes readers to the true heart of darkness, warning this book contains strong language that some may find offensive, which is you know, is probably true. I personally, I didn't find it uh, deeply offensive. I just saw it as this was part of the time. This was part of this terrible conflict. And even, you know, you see it at some point where the Japanese forces have their own um, slanderous sort of sayings and legends about Darkie's mob. Um, that it's clearly, you know, both sides have demonised their opponents in order to do what they have to do. Um, but it is, I suppose we should mention it, but it shouldn't discourage people from picking up Darkie's mob, I guess is what we're saying, Paul. That's my message, Eamon. That's my message. Don't be put off by things that you've, you've, you've heard. Don't be put off by comments by other people. Pick up the book, read Garth's wonderful introduction, to set the scene, uh, to, to put the story into context. And I mean, do bear in mind that this it's, it's, it's not a jingoistic war story. There, there's a reason why, there's a reason for Darkie's name. Uh, and there's also a reason for his single-minded hatred for the Japanese. The, the, this is not something that is just... Uh, uh, as I say, like a like a war comic of before, um, there, uh, there 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 are reasons uh, for the way the story develops. Uh, I don't want to say too much because if anybody hasn't read the story before, so they get the full impact of the, the, the conclusion to it. Um, I mean, the the warning on the back of of the book is is is. The way thing, just things have changed over the decades. I mean, even Dad's army now carries a warning um, at, at the beginning that it, 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 some of the language may be offensive. But I mean, better this than censoring um, the book uh, or, or whatever it is. And you know, if um, history is history is what happened, how people thought and acted at the time. You know, his, history is is something that, that, that we're all a part of. Um, and, uh, you know, if, if, if there is something, if, if history offends, well, you know, let's just make sure that it doesn't happen again. Mm. Uh, you know, people thought and, and acted a certain way at certain times. Uh, you know, we, we, we can't, we just can't airbrush that, that out. 
So Garth Ennis's introduction is called Dead Men Walk Dead Men Walking, Darkies Mob and the Reality of the Burma Conflict. And he mentions it, you know, you said we could just read out sections of it, but he says times change and sensitivities change with them. Words bothered almost no one thirty-five years ago will have a different effect on many modern readers. Um But Titan made the decision to restore it, to print all the artwork and all the original dialogue and lettering and i and it, they've done it in a nice hardback as well it's a lovely hardback edition which i guess is the same one you've got paul um nice glossy cover and it is nicely reproduced as well the black and white art really pops off the page it's a nice package for us as well um for this story which is in a way is just i just find it so important it's just so you know uh it's such uh, I don't want to say engaging. It's such a you know compelling story. I think that's the word. It's a compelling story. Brilliant art by John and Mike. Uh, it's just a nice package all round, and it really is worth going back and looking at it. I was quite shocked and surprised by it. So yeah, an astonishing book and an astonishing pick, Paul. I well, I'm glad that's that's uh, you know to get an opportunity to talk to you about this, Emma. It is to me. It's a it's a very important story, and it's one that that should be, it should be known. Um, it, it should be recognised for what it is, and uh, you know whether now that the rights have reverted back to rebellion again um, for all the battle material, whether they will they will publish um, a new edition of of Darkies Mob. We just have to see. Um, they they may choose to 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 to, to publish an, an edited version again, I say we just would have to see. But for now, we have this wonderful uh, Titan edition, which is still easily available uh, for, for anyone that, that wants to pick up a copy by eBay or by uh, Amazon. Yes, it is. It's about £16 for the hardback. Um, the link I put in our show notes was bookshop.org. You can find it on that site, which helps out your local bookshops as well. And yeah, it really is. It's it's an astonishing piece of work, uh, and what an opportunity to see a piece of um, early long form storytelling by John Wagner, but with Mike Weston's beautiful black and white art as well. Um, just be warned, this is a tough book uh, about tough men doing dreadful things in a in a jungle war. Um, I think, like the Americans found out in Vietnam, Paul, don't get involved in a jungle war if you can possibly avoid it. It's yeah. Don't underestimate your enemy. Yeah. <laughs> I think it's an important thing. Um, you know, uh, both the British in, in World War Two and the Americans in, in Vietnam drastically underestimated the the prowess of of the enemy. And and then before you knew it, they were both up to their neck in it. So, but yes, uh, uh, the jungle is an inhospitable. Um, it, it causes uh, there are a lot of problems associated with it, logistics, the weather, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. So, yeah, not not a good place, not a good place to fight a war. No. So, I've got two more questions for you, Paul. First of all, you know, originally started as a 2008 podcast, um, Darkies Mob. Uh, the obvious comparison is Bad Company by Milligan Ewins McCarthy. Is it? It was Bad Company, very much a riff on Darkies Mob. Do you think? Well, to a degree, there are some of the same tropes. Um, I generally see 
I generally see uh, bad company compared to Vietnam, maybe more so than than Darkies mob. Um, but there are certainly similarities, although one of the advantages of running a sci-fi story is that you can use any language you want and you, you can refer to the enemy in any way that you want to. So that's it's, it's uh, the difference between doing sci-fi and, and something set during uh, actual wartime. Okay, I just thought it was interesting because I do know I know people do mention them in the same breath often. Um, okay, the other one. Let's go back to Mike Weston's artwork and play the Grail page game. Okay. I, I don't know actually. I forgot to check whether there's any of this artwork still exists. I've I've never seen any. Never seen any, right? Uh, right. No, Peter 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 Western, uh, Mike's son, is actually a member of my Battle Fans Facebook page, and he he isn't aware. It, it could well be out there somewhere. But I, I don't think anyone has seen any uh, uh, ever made available. So even as you say, his son Peter doesn't know of any existing. So let's let's no, just assume no. it did, and you had a piece to hang on your wall, or a couple of pieces, and there are some covers in the back of this book as well. What are you going to choose, Paul? It's 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 a tough one. I mean, when I was rereading it, uh, sort of every time I turned the page, I thought, well, wow, I, I I'd really like that one. Um, and it just went on and on and on. But one page I kept coming back to is uh, in the fourth story, Eamon, page two of the fourth story. So it's, it's quite early on in the book. Um, it, it's where Darkie has, has shot the radio. Oh, yes. Yeah, I've got it now. And so it's page two of that. So Darkie has shot the squad's radio uh, for reasons which I'm not going to mention. At this point, the, the, the squad are still unsure of what to do. Do they follow Darkie? Do they try and make it to British lines? And, and they, they, they vote on what retribution to take on Darkie because he had shot the radio. And one by one, they vote. And to me, again, I've commented on, on Mike Western's body language and facial expressions. But as each of this, the squad vote you can. You, every one of them looks different. Uh, every one of them uh, holds themselves differently, and you can you can see their reaction to to what's going on. It, it's just a masterpiece. And then, of course, there's an attack by the Japanese at the, at the bottom of the page. So, I mean, to me, that that page just sums everything about Darkie's mob up to me. Fantastic. And it's got, as you say, five vertical panels of the soldiers voting, uh, yeah. each one a different, as you say, posture and facial expression. And of course, again, that sort of remarkable movement around the page that Mike Weston does. Yeah. Um, yeah. yeah. Lovely page. So that becomes yours in the virtual art gallery. And I'll post an image of it when this podcast comes out. Um, I would, Thank you very much. I was tempted by the last page, but it's too much of a spoiler to post it. So I'm going yeah, yeah. to pick yeah. the first page, which is nice and easy. <laughs> they, were, they were my other two, they were my other two picks. <laughs> the first page has that great illustration of Darkie. It has the, the diary. Um, it has him him striding out of the jungle in the last panel. The, 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 it's a great page as well. And, and the final page, of course, well, half a page it is. Yeah. Um, which which we don't want to talk about, but it, it is just astonishing. And I, I could look at that, I could look at that last page for hours. And of course, the last page, I think Mike Weston got away with a signature on there, didn't he? Yep, 
Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. I'm quite right too to sign off on. Yeah. Yes. But yeah, okay, so I'll post an image of the first page. I'll post the, your page, Paul, when this episode comes out. And if anybody knows, if any Mike Western art does still exist from this, then do please let us know. Okay, so wonderful. Darkies Mob is a very uh, grim and brutal read, but also a sort of vital one and an astonishing piece of work from the mid-70s in British comics. So, Paul, let's turn to guest projects. Now, obviously, mm. we'd like to be talking about the Emmer Skilling Comic Fest, but pandemic times changed it, and, you know, obviously you had to cancel last year, 2020. I guess there's not plans for this one this year, are there? I really I can't see it, Eamon. Right. Um, things are still way too uncertain. Comic Fest would traditionally have been in May time, and... Uh, I, I just I I, I really can't see. I mean, even trying to run something later in the year. Um, and I'm following Facebook, and I'm seeing other conventions later in the year are deciding to postpone until next year and whatnot. So really, I, I just don't think. I mean, besides the convention itself, there's traveling, there's hotel accommodation needed, and um, uh, the, the safety of of the attendees is obviously paramount. And I, I, I just I don't think it would be an enjoyable experience no. to try and run anything this year. No. Um, it, it really wouldn't be what, what I want the Enniskill and Comic Fest to be. So reluctantly, I, I think realistically, we're looking at, at next year um, at the earliest. So possible thoughts for 2022, and hopefully it will return at some point. Hopefully, hopefully, yeah. Um, uh, just as I say, there's still so so much uncertainty about about things. Nobody can can really predict. You know, some are, are believing that the vaccine will will uh, will have been rolled out by then, and, and there will be some form of normality. On the other end of the scale, there are people that think there'll be another wave of this, and and it just I I don't know really what the future is going to. Nobody does, and uh, we're we're hoping to run. Comic Fest next year, but uh, I, I think realistically, until much later in this year, we're not going to be able to say anything with any degree of certainty. And I guess the place to look, and I'll put the link in the show notes, is facebook.com uh, Enniskillen Comic Fest. Is that right? Yeah, all the details will be posted on the on the Facebook page. That's the best place to find it. Um, and if, if anyone has intrigued by what we've talked about here today, or uh, uh, wants to get uh, a bit more in, learn more about Battle Comic. We have a, a Battle Fans Facebook page, which you could check out as well, um, where we talk about Darkies Mob and all the other battle stories. Um, all, all are welcome. Uh, yeah, I was going to mention that. Search for Battle Fans on Facebook and you'll find Paul's uh, fan group. And if you, you want to talk about Darkies Mob after listening to this episode and hopefully going away and reading it, then that's the place to go. Um, a very friendly group, lots of uh, great art being posted. You've, As you say, you did your War Child fundraiser and you've got Mike Weston's son on there as well, who's now a comic book artist himself, I believe. Mm. Yes, yes, Peter... Um... Peter did uh, the art for a story in Blazer, the, the new comic with all stories written by Steve McManus, who was the who was the sub-editor on Battle for the first couple of years. And he's, he's a member of Battle fans as well, uh, as is John and 
Alan Hebden and uh, so many of the, the writers and artists that worked on the comic. Fantastic. So do join that uh, Facebook group. Um, there's some great stuff going on, on on there as well. And thank you so much, Paul, for choosing a, a tough book, but a fascinating one that says so much, I think, about uh, the history of this conflict, but also tells us a bit about the history of British comics in the 1970s as well. And it's a gripping read, and it's a great bit of John Wagner and Mike Weston. Yeah, uh, it's, I'm, I'm glad you enjoyed a reread of it, Eamon. I've welcomed the opportunity to talk to you today about about Darkie's Mob, one of my favourite well, favourite battle stories, but beyond that, one of my favourite British comic stories uh, of all time. So please check it out. Absolutely. It's an astonishing piece of work. And thank you to everyone for listening to Mega City Book Club. As ever, follow us on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, Spotify, or the 2080 forums. Find links to uh, all the stuff we've talked about, including Paul's Facebook groups at megacitybookclub.com. And that get in touch with me by emailing mcbcpodcast at gmail.com. So until next time, when we're passing judgment on another great book, it's time for goodbyes. So it's goodbye from me and... It's goodbye from me and Darkies Mob. (laughs) 